It's the semifinals of the AEW number one contenders tournament. More matches are made for full gear, and the inner circle have a town hall in this week's review of AEW Dynamite. So, sorry uh, in advance for the fact that this is having to get up late. I just uh, was extremely exhausted last night. I watched AEW, then I had to record two podcasts, and then I firmly passed out. So, sorry this is having to get up late, but it was a good episode. I really did enjoy it. It wasn't as good as the past couple of weeks, just because, you know, MJF and Jericho had to get back to storyline and not being able to have fun. But yeah, let's get into it. The show opens with a promo from MJF and Wardlow, during which MJF basically says, hey, if Wardlow wins the tournament, if he wins the championship, I'm the new champion because Wardlow is under contract to me, not under contract to AEW. And I love that they keep bringing that up because... That means in the future, if they do, if Wardlow does turn on MJF, that would then mean Wardlow would have to find a way to earn a contract with AEW. It's really interesting. Um, my favorite was MJF basically says that cool big guy, and Wardlow looks at him, and you could see that no, it's not cool look at his face, but he goes, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And Wardlow's really been impressing me lately. Uh, up next, uh, Sammy Guevara interferes. He comes out and basically says, like, hey, you can joke and do whatever you want right now, but later I'm going to make sure you do not join the inner circle. And then MJF had a couple of quality lines, including, I got a note for your promos. Don't. And then the guy that looks like he sells Adderall to middle schoolers is upset. So MJF quickly destroyed Sammy Guevara. But I thought this was a good opening. It set up the town hall for later. And also, it wasn't that long. It didn't overstay its welcome because all it was was an introduction to our first match, which was Wardlow versus Hangman Page. And... What I liked about this match, firstly, Hangman started out with a big house of fire, went for a drop kick, went for a lot of moves, and I thought it was, it almost felt like a response to Kenny getting like a 26 second win last week. It felt like Hangman saw Kenny get that fast victory in order to prove himself. He started going in hard on Wardlow, trying to get a quick victory, but unfortunately... A, that's not the kind of person Hangman is, and B, Wardlow is too big to do that to. And so Wardlow starts off the match just beating the absolute hell out of Hangman Page. And honestly, this was the testing ground of Hangman. Like, er, like last week he had a good match, but this week it was... Can Hangman Page survive Wardlow? It wasn't a question of if he can win. It's can he survive? And he was taking the beating of a lifetime. Wardlow was pulling out amazing shit. Like, he went for a swanton, which, holy shit, what? Then uh, Hangman actually does eat the F-10. Like, he actually does deliver it to him. But he rolls to the outside. Smart move. Then they go up to the top rope. Hangman just yeets that big man. He yeets Wardlow across the ring and then hits a buckshot lariat. Wardlow goes down to one knee. Hangman immediately, instead of trying to go for the pin, says, okay, let's finish him off, goes to the other rope. Second buckshot lariat, which I enjoyed because it showed that Wardlow is still an unstoppable machine. It takes two finishers to put him down. It was a really, really good match. I loved it. There was brutality. There was intensity from both men. You could see in their eyes that both of them wanted this more than anything, and it was really fun. I loved it. Really good opener. Five out of five. 
Then we get another promo from Moxley, who, as we learned last week, is going to deliver in this feud. And he's talked about all of these defenses he's had, all of the title defenses he's had. And he said that each one has been business, but this one's personal. This one's for me. And I liked this because this was the first promo Mox did where you could tell that there was still going to be some intensity. Because last week's it was still, he's my friend. He's my friend. I want my friend back. This is the week where he said, you know what? No, fucking fuck Eddie Kingston. I can't believe he's done this. I can't believe he's let his ego get to this point where all he does is whine and complain. And then he ends it with being like, Eddie, in a couple weeks, check, protect your neck. And I was like, oh, my God. So really good promo from Moxley. Then uh, Eddie Kingston comes out, cuts a promo of his own to set up for his his match, which is going to be Kingston versus Matt Seidel. Uh, He's got Butcher, Blade, and Bunny in his corner. And Eddie basically says something that I've kind of – I've realized, and he goes, why is the champion not here? And I went, you know what? He's got a fair point. I don't think, I can't, I think the last time I have saw I saw Moxley live in an AEW ring maybe was right, was the anniversary show. And that was, what, two, three weeks ago? So it's been a while since we've seen Moxley in the ring. And uh, I love the moment where he kicks out the cameraman and he goes, hey, you never trained to be in this ring. You never trained to be in my home, so you get out of here. Um, says, talks of, And then he uh, pivots to talking about Seidel and says, that was my match to win. The Casino Battle Royal was my match to win. And he tried to steal my thunder. He tried to be the Joker. And then he ends by saying, I hope you're watching from home, which is just a good subtle dig at Mox. So that was good. Um, I haven't been watching Matt on Dark, but apparently he's switching to a more technical style, which is really fun. Like, I, I like that. I really like this new style he's trying to work. I love when a guy tries to expand his his moveset, and, and Seidel's definitely doing that. And the story of this match was really interesting because Eddie wasn't the one in control, which is what I expected. But no, Eddie... Eddie was actually really struggling to get going. Eddie was struggling. uh, It wasn't until after commercial that he started to come back, but Matt, once again, keeps getting control. He keeps getting one over on Eddie, and you see him getting frustrated constantly. Kingston constantly getting upset with this beatdown. But finally, out of nowhere, he manages to hit the spinning back fist and then uses the bulldog choke to put out Seidel, who taps. And it was really vicious. It was really, really brutal. I loved this match because it showed... Firstly, I like that they had him wrestle against a a guy who's working a submission style, i.e. Matt Seidel, because that's the whole impetus behind his match at full gear is saying that you quit giving up and that's the point of a submission is trying to get your opponent to tap to give up and eddie's refusing to tap eddie's refusing to give up to all of these different submission techniques and then of course at the end of the match matt gives up matt taps but eddie says that's not enough the bunny comes in the ring holds down the microphone and he goes say i quit mocks say i quit and then finally Seidel says he quits but the whole time eddie's referring to him as moxley which i liked a lot i like that a lot this whole when i look at my opponents i don't see them i see john moxley it was really good uh, it wasn't as good as the opener i gave it like a three out of five because i wanted more offense out of kingston but that's just a personal preference like really the story was good it was to show that Eddie Kingston won't give up no matter how hard you try. So then we get a promo from FTR and the Bucks, and Excalibur is interviewing them. 
uh, he the first question, of course, on everyone's mind is Matt's ankle fine? And Matt's like, no, it is. And then Nick looks at him like. No, it's not, dude. Your ankle is messed up. And so Excalibur goes to FTR and they say, uh, and asks them, why would you do this? Why would you jeopardize a dream match? And very succinctly, they just go, we don't care about dream matches. We care about being champions. And I liked that. I really liked that. Because, like, there's no reason for a heel to care about a dream match. And I really loved that. Uh, then they say the Bucks are the only reason Excalibur has a job, which is a nice dig at them being EVPs. And then the Bucks explain that FTR are the reason why they've been super kicking people. And basically it says, I'm not proud of who we've become, but we have to become go back to the old Bucks. They say that, I mean, that was an exact line. The old Bucks are back, which got me, it got me popped. And then Excalibur keeps asking the Bucks questions and FTR gets upset and leave because they're the champions. Why are you not focusing on them? And then the Bucks explain, we are self-made men. Everything we've done, we've done for ourselves. And then they say if they lose, they won't challenge for the titles again. Reminiscent of Cody saying if he doesn't win against Jericho last year, he won't challenge for the title again. And Excalibur, Excalibur, I don't even know if they if, if he knew that this was going to happen because he just kind of looks at him like, really, really? That's the that's the, that's what we're doing with this. Okay, that's fine. Because it honestly sounded like they were going to make it a ladder match or something big because they kept what they were talking about, like on the indies, they were climbing and that they made themselves themselves. So I was like, okay, ladder match. So much like they climbed up the ladder on the indies, they can climb up the ladder and become the AEW Tag Team Champions. I don't like this stipulation because it kind of, it kind of spoils the ending. Like with Cody, there was still a shred of a doubt. But with the Bucks, they're so dominant that I couldn't see them not ever holding those belts. And it would really do a disservice to AEW to not have them feud with the top guys from here on out. So, yeah, I'm a little little disappointed. And speaking of disappointed, I was then also disappointed in our next segment, which was the Inner Circle Town Hall meeting. Uh, Jake Hager was the only, only member of the Inner Circle not there because he is training for a fight with Bellator. And, yeah, it was a good... Here's the thing. I'm spoiled. I've been spoiled by MJF and Jericho because the last two segments they did were so phenomenal that this one, that actually was a decent segment now that I've had some time to process it. It's just not as... Just didn't hit as hard. You know what I mean? So, uh, wrestlers are actually walking up and asking them questions. So, like, Luchasaurus comes up and asks, like, a legitimate, like, political question. Like, what will MJF do for the finances of uh, Inner Circle? And that that popped me. Um, then Britt Baker and Reba come up. And then Reba, making fun of the woman at the... I think this was at the Trump Town Hall, looks at Jericho. You have a great smile. You've got. I love it when you smile. And that, that popped me. That was really good good um then we finally have a little bit of dissension jericho finally looks at mjf and says hey if you want to turn on us that's fine but we will knock your teeth down your throat and that was good the only thing i kind of wish after last week that that musical number led dinner debonair that really felt like it grew a relationship between jericho and mjf that i didn't see here and I know that's ridiculous of me to be like, why isn't the musical number coming into play? But yeah, um, then the moment of this segment, Eric Bischoff returns. And Eric Bischoff basically says, MJF, what can you offer? What can you offer the inner circle? And then MJF, the absolute shit heel, just goes, I can give them friendship. And I lost it. It was very good. 
uh it just kind of after that it just kind of slogged unfortunately because it was i i wish they had done something a little bit more interesting than what they did do which is basically mjf saying i've done everything for you like mjf finally snaps and goes i've done everything over the past few weeks i gave you the best segment in wrestling history i've given you this i've given you that what what haven't i done and then Jericho simply says, you haven't beat me. And then they set up MJF versus Jericho at full gear. If MJF wins, he's in the inner circle. And, of course, Ortiz and uh, Sammy are upset about this. Ortiz goes off, says he talks too much. He's got no shot joining the inner circle. And next week we're getting MJF and Wardlow versus Ortiz and Guevara. Um, yeah. I kind of wish they had done something a little bit more interesting here than just, yeah, Jericho versus MJF. Or, I mean, I'm fine with Jericho versus MJF. I, that's going to be an exciting-ass match, but I don't know. The segment didn't do it for me. So then we get a recap from Team Taz and basically everything that's been happening on Dark with them and Will Hobbs. They still want to recruit him, and I like this because dark has a lot of shit like dark is like 17 matches long now and i like that they're recapping the stuff that happens during it besides just having like the small banner running across the bottom like there is stuff important to storylines like there's something that was really born a, a rivalry that was born from dark that uh comes back later and they didn't recap that that well and so I'm i'm happy they're doing it well here with will hobbs and taz so now we get Orange Cassidy and Cody, and yeah, I'm spoiled. This one spoiled me because their last match was so good, and then this one, it had that Cody stink on it. It had the I've got too many things I want to cram into one match thing because in the opening, you know, the opening of the match is where you set up everything. You set up the dichotomy of the two wrestlers. So in this one, Orange Cassidy is kind of playing like, almost Loki. He's like the god of mischief in AEW, and Cody's having to find a way to work around that. The problem is, after setting that up, then you have to set up everyone on the outside and what their relationship is. So, like, the best friends are uh, antagonizing Dustin and QT Marshall, who are out there, which, by the way, poor QT. <laughs> Apparently, Allie, before he she revealed herself as the bunny, stole his credit cards and spent all the money on them. So... <laughs> Good work, you simp. So, yeah, it was. It took a while to really, really get going. Like, there was a lot of fire in the beginning, but then they started playing with headlocks. And then, like, there were a few fun moments. Like, uh, Cody punched Orange off of the apron, but the best friends caught him and threw him back up. And then later, Cody fell off. Best friends catch him again and then drop him. That was really funny. Uh, Trent sucker punching Cody and then Cassidy actually hitting the beach break for uh, a very very close three count that was really fun but then there was just a lot of stuff that I've seen before like the superplex into a massive pile of dudes I think that's going to be the new Tower of Doom spot because I remember the first time I saw a Tower of Doom I said yeah that's awesome then they started doing it again and again and again and again and this superplex into just a boy pile is is nothing so orange finally does his like weak chops cody gets upset but orange ducks it hits a super kick uh that's when we get the near fall off the beach break 
and then John Silver goes into the ring, takes out Orange Cassidy, and then Arn Anderson punches Orange Cassidy in the face. Cody grabs him, crossroads, one, two, three. Cody has retained, but not without some some real heel, heel shit going on with Arn Anderson. So just turn him heel, guys. I can't I can't take this. I don't know. I'm kind of a good guy. Like if they want to do what I want them to do with Cody when they first started, which almost have Cody play like a a Macbeth thing and then have everyone around him influence him to do bad things. That would be fun, but I'm not seeing it enough yet. And then post-match, it's just an absolute bar brawl. (laughs) It's just chaos. All the lumberjacks get in the ring. They fight. Darby Allen's watching on from the stands. And then the gun club start clearing house, during which Cody notices and points them out, which is why next week we're getting Cody and the gun club versus the Dark Order. So it was fun. It set up some future matches, like like the gun club match, and then also we're getting Orange Cassidy versus John Silver at, uh, at full gear, which, fuck yeah, I'm excited for that. So then we promote Full Gear, and all the commercials for Full Gear are talking about all the big surprises that have happened throughout the year. And so I'm hoping they have a big surprise, because otherwise these advertisements are doing nothing. So then we go backstage, Miro and Kip apologize to the best friends, giving them a Halloween present, which is nothing. And then beat them down, this is kind of nothing, it's just a little something to keep this storyline continuing. And then we get Serena, the brand new NWA Women's Champion, taking on Layla Hirsch. And Serena cuts a a basic babyface promo. She's holding the legacy of the NWA in her hands. And when she won the title, the game had changed. So, okay, good. And I loved this match because for me... I knew nothing about Layla Hirsch before this match, and now post-match, I'm a big fan. I loved the fact that in the opening, they went for a lot of mat wrestling because that's what Hirsch is good at. It highlighted her strengths in the opening, and it put her over really, really big as just this epic hoss in the women's division who can just destroy everything. Epic mat wrestling, really good technical style. Uh, The only problem I had was the ending. Serena finally manages to get her wrapped up and she tapped a little bit too early. I kind of wish Hirsch had been able to hold on, but also I understand you don't want the... the, I guess she was playing the heel because Serena is definitely the baby face, but you, you don't want you don't want her looking that weak, but I also understand you want Serena looking really strong. So I don't know. Four out of five match. I liked it, but also the ending was a little bit rushed. So now we go backstage and we have an interview with Sheeta. And I was really hoping we'd see maybe Thunder Rosa make a return here or maybe her talk about this previous match with Serena. But instead, Marvez brings up the fact that Nyla Rose refuses to wrestle until Sheeta grants her a match because Nyla Rose is number one in the power rankings. And so we're getting Nyla versus Sheeta again at full gear. Hey, AEW, you have more women's wrestlers. You have more women's wrestlers. Use them. I don't care if it's Britt Baker. I don't care if you put Rebel in the match. You have women wrestlers. You don't have to just do Sheeta and Nyla consistently. So this was probably the most upsetting moment of the night. Then we go to the ring. Sean Spears versus VSK. And this is continuing the Sean versus Scorpio storyline that I still don't fully understand. On commentary, they're like, well, Sean Spears claims that Scorpio was a thief. And I'm like, fucking why? Why? I don't know. I don't know this storyline. I don't know why this is happening. So yeah, this is probably... 
I could have went without the Taz recap if they had put in a recap of this to where I could actually really understand. Also, during this match, they revealed that Sean's 14-2, and two, which, holy shit, that is a win record. He gets in the ring, immediately drops VSK with the DVD, and now Sean is 15-2. and two. It was a very quick, simple squash match. I'm fine. Push Sean Spears. I love Sean. I want Sean to have bigger things. When he came in and hit that chair shot on Cody, I thought he was destined to do some amazing stuff, and then he's just kind of been floundering. So yeah, push Sean. And then uh, outside of the ring, everyone's wearing costumes, and there's a bull throwing shit at Sean. And big surprise, it's Scorpio, who takes him out with a TKO in a moment. And you know what? If I knew what the storyline was, maybe this would have popped me, but it was just... The only... Like, the saving grace was the fact that it made Sean look really, really strong in the match, but then it just... There was a bull throwing things, and the bull was Scorpio, and then they fought, and... I just don't know. So then we get a recap for what's going to happen on uh, Full Gear. So they talk about Moxley versus Kingston. They talk about Orange Cassidy versus fucking John Silver. Hell yeah. FTR versus Bucks. Recap of all of that. A preview for next week's show, which actually looks like it's going to be really, really killer. It's got a little good stuff. And then that's when I realized, oh shit, they're giving Pentagon and Kenny Omega 20 minutes. And that made me very, very excited. Um, during his entrance, Penta refused a high five from Phoenix, so, so I don't know if they're pulling some breakup storyline with them, because I, I wouldn't, but okay. Um, I love the fact that Kenny's entrance is obsessed with shit from North Carolina. That's phenomenal. They Then Kenny's sweepers come out. They're dressed like Penta and Phoenix, and this match kind of got me back on the side of Kenny Omega, because I understand he he's now just leaning into the fact that he's a dork that's good at wrestling, because, yeah, so he came out, I loved the opener, because Kenny is wrestling in a t-shirt, and he's not taking it off, he's not taking things seriously at all, like, at one point, he pulls up the shirt, and he's wearing the AAA Mega Championship just to taunt Phoenix and um, Pentagon, the only problem I had with this is, if nobody... If I didn't know that he had won that from Phoenix, I, I wish they had promoted it a little bit more because it, it felt weird inserted into this match. But I, I liked it because I do know about the AAA Mega Championship. And in the opener, Kenny is not taking this seriously at all. And in the, it kind of slogged because both Penta and Kenny are so self-indulgent. So Penta has this weird, like, little creeping around the ring while taking off his gloves shit. And then Kenny's, of course, Kenny. So they're very self-indulgent. But as the match went on and both of them started to kind of wake up, like Kenny realizing, oh no, I can't just get through this like I did with Sonny last week, it, it he had to end up doing more. And even then, there was still a lot of confidence out of it. Kenny hit a shit ton of V-triggers near the end of the match, and I love that commentary was not ignoring the fact that if Kenny won, we would get Kenny versus Hangman. Because you can't not talk about it. You can't just be like... Oh, well, big surprise, it's Kenny versus Hangman. Like, no, they brought it up, which they talked about it enough for everyone at home to, if you weren't invested, you would be once you started to realize, oh, wait, we would get Kenny versus Hangman. Hell yeah, that's great. So, um, the other problem I have with this match was during the commercial, they were fighting around the outside, and then Kenny started beating up Pentagon with a cooler, which, 
that should have been a DQ, and then also they were outside of the ring for far past a 10 count, so that was rough. But once it came back, that's when the fire really started to happen. Kenny went for the avalanche dragon suplex off the top, Penta hit a destroyer onto the ramp, and then hit Kenny with a package pile driver, and that's the moment I said... Penta's about to ruin a dream match, but no, Kenny kicks out at literally, like, hand inches from the mat, and Kenny kicks out. It was good, it was competitive, Penta fucking snapped Kenny Omega's arm, but even then, he came back, hit the one-winged angel, I kinda wish he had used the unsnapped arm for that, because it's it's not like the one-winged angel can only be done to his, like, I think it's his right side he does it on, he can do it on the left side as well. But it doesn't matter. It was a phenomenal five-star match. Uh, it was really exciting, really competitive. Like I said, the opening was a bit of a slog, but once they came back and started to get going, I said, hell yes, Kenny Omega's back. And we're getting Kenny versus Hangman at full gear, which is shaping up to be an absolutely badass show, which is um, more than I can say for this one. I said it was somewhat elite. It's It was kind of middle of the road. It had two really good five-star matches, but everything in between was just a little bit too slow for me, a little bit too plodding, but yeah, somewhat elite. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know on Twitter at ScottyMo, S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O, and if you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to donate at patreon.com slash a load of BS. You get access to our Discord where we stream AEWWWE, whatever we want to watch in the wrestling world, live to you, and you can react alongside us. And the only way to get it is at patreon.com slash a load of BS. And as always, remember to follow us on Twitter at Fight Boys Show. Because when you're a fight boy, you're a fight boy for life.